Hello and welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer and I believe that curiosity is the key to creativity. Together with my super special co-host and my mom, Eileen Schubalzer, we ask questions of each other and our guests while discussing learning, the creative career path, finding balance, looking at art, setting goals, and why being creative matters. Our goal is for this podcast to stimulate your imagination. Hi, Mom. Hello, Julie. What do you think of the new intro? Gives me a lot of credit and the check is in the mail. (laughs) Glad. So listen, is your creativity bogged down by a year of COVID quarantining? So on today's podcast, Mom and I are going to discuss our own COVID isolation experiences and offer you four solutions to hopefully end yours. So a couple things of interest before we get started. Uh, Membership tiers. So there are monthly members, $5.99 a month, and you get a live stream video. It's an hour-long live stream. There are recordings. You get all the recordings from past live streams, and they're packed with answers to your questions. So demos you want to see, questions about art supplies or techniques. You also get a real-time video for me and a personal vlog where you get invited into my home and into my family. There is now also a maker member learner uh, or a maker member, a maker level member, something like that. There's a tongue twister in that where you also get an SVG of the month, a principal, a printable download of the month and a studio vlog. Studio vlogs are more focused on a single idea of art, a single area of it. So it may be a behind the scenes of how a class comes together or working on my hundred day project or whatever it is, but it's very much art focused on what's happening in my studio that month. And then finally is the Super Learner member where you get the entire SVG and printable download library plus a live critique group each month where you get one-on-one access to me. It's like um, a, a coaching session basically is what you get for an hour. These tend to be very small. Usually only two or three people come, which is great because you get a lot of time to talk about your work and sort of what's going on with you. You get access to 16 of my work at your own pace classes, including the entire Getting Started bundle and my junk journal classes. So that alone is like a three dollars or $400 value and again you can join for one month and then you can of course cancel I hope you won't you can also downgrade and upgrade at will so I hope you'll check that out I do have a bunch of upcoming live online classes my art parts class boot camp is coming up Um, if you don't know about boot camp I'm going to read you two reviews that I think really sum it up the first one says this class is worth every penny I have lots of work to do but I feel like I now have the tools to carry me forward to where I would like to be and the other person says here the best class I've ever taken in person or online thanks so boot camp is basically it is exactly what this says is it's about tools we break down the elements and principles of design so that you have the tools to create the kind of art that you're interested in creating it's a big step forward if you're ready to really figure out what your personal style is and to guide your work uh, intentionally so I hope you will check those out but uh, I think we'll just hop right into today's topic now So we haven't had a podcast since January. Have you missed me? Every minute. (laughs) I was going to say, you see me quite often, so you probably haven't missed me. Um, You know, there are a couple of reasons. I I think I really hit a COVID wall uh, mentally where one of the things that happened, besides the fact that I think, you know, just the day in, day out wear down of COVID is a real thing, I think that also one of the things about COVID is you live through the internet at that point, right? When you don't see people and you don't see other things. And I started to feel like 
a million people I knew were starting podcasts and everybody had a podcast and like a hundred different. And I was like, what is the point of my having a podcast? What on earth do I have to say that's different from anybody else? Which just started a whole, I know, which just started a whole spiral of like, why do I exist? Because, you know, what's the point? I'm not different than anybody else, which is ridiculous because guess what, Julie, a million people make art a million people teach art, a million people do, you know, walk and breathe and do everything that you do. But the point is, as Dr. Seuss said so memorably, no one is youer than you, you know. And so I think like I had to get over and past all of that kind of like sad sack down in the dumps, Eeyore the donkey, rain cloud over my head kind of stuff and say, no, I love doing the podcast. And this is something we've been doing since 2000. 11 I think 2012 we've been doing it a long time um and it feels like you know something that I think we've talked about before as we often talk which is the point of a podcast that feels really right for us and so I just had to get over my sad sackness so I'm back wow I know did you go through a mental breakdown with me in the last two minutes? Did you feel my whole tumultuous fall down the hill, all the comparing myself to others, that is always a bad idea, and then getting right back up and saying, no, I am me. No, I was thinking that I have another <laughs> child, and if I really get sick of this relationship, I got someone else to fall back on. Well, you never know. You have two grandchildren who will begin talking soon, and then really you could have even more options. Okay choices. I know. No, I would say that the spring weather, we live in the northeast, the spring weather, the increased sunshine, daylight savings time, the whole thing has kind of kicked me back into I'm I'm in the world mode, you know, I'm a it's human like, being. If I'm a one of those daffodil bulbs that hides underground all winter long and you forget it's there. Mhm. Now suddenly you're I'm emerging. Po- yeah, I'm poking my head up. Here I'm I am. Emerging. Just so that my baby on a walk can come along and grab you by the throat. He does like to touch the flowers and I keep saying gentle, gentle. Um, but anyway, I, besides just complaining about my life and telling you all about my mental turmoil, I actually wanted to bring this out to sort of a larger metaphor, um, and talk about it in the sense of, I think one of the things that happens for many artists, many people who make things, however you want to define yourself, is that you go through these, we can call it these winter periods, these barren periods, or, you know, periods of time in which you really do feel frustrated that things aren't working, that you're not happy with your work that you know what's the point of it all you look around at all your supplies and you get sort of overwhelmed and I think it's important to not surrender into that fully and to remember that as they say the spring will come and part of it is you need to sometimes take a break I think that's a totally legitimate choice that people don't often give themselves. Sometimes you need to just walk away for a little while to remember how much you like it, right? It's like a fallow field. You need to let it rest. Sometimes you need to sort of just keep plugging away in some small way to keep yourself in touch with it, you know, to remind yourself that it's there. And and a big part, which actually ties into my recommendation this week, which I'll talk about uh, towards the end of the podcast, is sometimes you just need a change of perspective, and a lot of times I think one of the reasons that the nicer weather has been making me feel better is we just can spend more time outside and you can spend more time just really sort of being, you know what I mean, in the world, which does have a different feeling than being in your house, which while I acknowledge it is in the world, you know what I mean, is not quite the same thing. 
Well, also, if, if one is really quarantining, which we still really are, mm. uh, and you're used to seeing a lot of people, even just casually on the street, little chatting with a neighbor or talking to the person at this corner store, you really feel cut off. Mm. I was going to say, when I took you for your first vaccine shot, it felt like we were going to a party because you ran into so many people you knew and there were so many like, oh my God, how are you? So nice to see you. It was, it was, uh, it was insane. It was the most chatty social experience. Dope alive. <laughs> and I would say that uh, even when you take your child to the playground, you know, you're like sort of like a hunted animal. You move away if there are crowds. You define a crowded playground as if there are like two other children there. I mean, it's just... For social people, it's really been... It's difficult. And I think also we forget, too, that art making is often inspired by social interaction. It's not a wholly internal act, right? A lot of times it's the external stimuli. It's an overheard conversation. It's something that you observed go down between two people. It's also like a change of environment. It's a shop window. It's all sorts of things that, you know, I think you're just not seeing. And so I, I again say like, I, so one of the things that I think is really interesting is as people often say to me things like, oh, it's so easy for you to just, you know, throw a bunch of paint onto the paper or to just, you know, be casual about it or to like, you know, whatever it is you do. And, and I, I always try to tell people so that they understand it isn't easy. It's a choice that I make. And I am like you and I do struggle with these things. And I am a perfectionist. I'm in recovery. I'm a recovering perfectionist, you know, and the same thing is true. Like I don't always have inspiration and I do have to go looking for it. And I do have those moments when I, you know, compare myself unfairly favorably to other people. And I do have to remind myself not to do that. And I think it's like, we can, again, I say the pandemic in some ways has made the world very insular, even though the internet is so big. And I don't know how, gosh, what this would have been like without it. But it does, again, somewhat become a feedback loop in which you see these sort of shiny, bright versions of people's lives. And it starts to feel like, you know, what's wrong with me or what's wrong, you know, with what I have. And I think it's important to remember that uh, if you sort of get out in the world and you get out into nature and you get out into everything else, like there is a real world out there and there is much more. In fact, one of the things that I'm actually, I have coming up in a blog post this week on my blog is talking a little bit about how I have felt like what I'm seeing on social media, I'm following a lot of the same types of people and so it does feel like a feedback loop where the whole world seems to be doing the same color scheme the same ideas the same everything and I had to like and because Instagram for example keeps recommending things you like to you then you just keep seeing more of the same things and it started to be like ah because I think I felt the lack of going to museums museums are one of the places that I see a lot of work I don't like which is great which is actually turns out to be great and important. Or I see a lot of things that aren't things I would choose that suddenly ping in my brain. And I find that with all these algorithms suggesting things to you that they know you'll already like, we lose out 
on so much accidental discovery of new things. We lose out on the moment of finding the book on the shelf next to the book that we actually wanted, which is actually a better book for us, but we didn't know about it because we don't browse shelves. Like when I go to the library, I go there purely to pick up the book that I have ordered because I don't want to be, you know, running through the library because of COVID or whatever else. And so I think it's like there are just so many missed opportunities for accidental discovery. So I think one of the things I'm really trying to focus on this spring is finding moments of accidental discovery. What can I accidentally discover today? I'm going to tell you our recent experience with the baby Mm. at the Museum of Science pretty much encapsulates how uh, isolated we have been, even though you're obviously on the internet all day long. Yeah. So the baby was born last winter in 2020. No, and, he was born in 2019. Oh my God. All right. He was born in 2019 <laughs> and we haven't really taken him anywhere except to the doctor's. That's the only alien he's been to. He hasn't been to a restaurant. He doesn't go to the grocery store or Target or, uh, you know, anywhere. And so what we found was we immediately reacted to trying to enter for the first time the Museum of Science here. Uh he cried like crazy the minute we walked out of the parking lot into the building, and he also cried like crazy in the elevator because the only alien building and elevator he's ever been in leads to the doctor's office where he gets shots. It was absolutely amazing. And I realized that to him, that's you just don't go to other buildings and you don't see a lot of other people. This was startling, and it was, I felt sad for him. He'll obviously get over it when life returns to normal, but I just felt, wow, I, if I feel isolated, that's his entire world. He doesn't watch TV. He doesn't get to do any of that stuff, so he's We're just, it. We're it. He's stuck with, he was stuck with us. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. And I think, you know, uh, there are, I, I have rationalized through myself all sorts of stuff. I've said, listen, like he doesn't know what he's missing, right? So he has mommy and daddy and grandma and he knows that and he sees them most days and you know what I mean? And that's great. And he goes to, we have like three or four, a loop of three or four different playgrounds around town that we go to and, you know, there's different things but you know we made a joke when he was little and the pandemic started because he was an infant when the pandemic started so that's why he just really hadn't been anywhere where like his friends were green bag trash can chair leg you know and it was funny in like March and April that that was like the people that he saw so to speak but a year later I'm sort of feeling that it's less funny I mean again I'm sure he'll be fine but I do think too 
about all the outside stimulus he's missing. Like sometimes it's a wonder to me that he managed to figure out how to walk when there weren't other kids to see that they were walking or that he learned to play and do things, you know, like we were trying to teach him how to do a somersault and you kept saying you have to do a somersault for him to understand, you know, how to do it. And of course I said, I'll kill myself if I try to do a somersault, but Steve did do a somersault, which I think also scared the baby more than anything. But it's, but I do wonder, like, not just he's a very, like, clear sort of example of it, but for all of us, what are we missing by not watching other people do it? Right. You know, what are we missing? I, I wonder sometimes, like, I'm a first time parent. Is my, am I parenting weirdly? Because I'm not seeing how other parents handle their children, handle tantrums, handle, you know, situations. Do I just, because I just do things instinctively, you know, the way that it sort of feels like it should be. But it's, but most of the time you learn by watching how other people do things. It's, it's one of the reasons I know that people uh, sometimes don't like, um, you know, spending a lot of time watching people work, like they want to do their own thing. But you actually, from watching an artist paint something, can learn a lot just from how they hold the brush, how they set up their palette, you know, how much time they spend on certain things, you know. And I think, like, they're that observation is somewhat limited, uh, or it's not limited, but it's, it's, it's a forgotten skill. We focus so much on being told, like flat out told things, as opposed to taking the lessons ourselves. I think that's why people love, for example, cooking shows, because Mm. usually the chef is explaining to you why you do the various things and the order in which you do it and some of the possibilities for changing it up. I think people love your process videos because you're explaining. Um, I miss I miss talking to people just about what they're thinking. I, mm. You know, it's I'm really tired of Zoom meetings. I'm really tired of reading stuff off my phone. Mm. I'm really tired of. Well, I have to tell you, I think the reason you accused me the other day of like, just like being a podcast obsessed. And I think I am partially though, because I like the podcasts that are discussions. I like the podcasts where it's two people talking or more than two people talking, because I think I miss those debates about opinions and reflecting on things. I mean, it's gotten to the point where Steve and I will watch like a half hour, not very good comedy before going to bed and then end up spending 45 minutes debating the finer points of it just because, (laughs) do you know what I mean? It's like you're looking for that kind of intellectual back and forth that, you know, talking about like the possibilities. We started watching this, this ridiculous NBC sitcom series called Resident Alien, which is, you know, like a million different shows mashed into one show. And... I cannot tell you the lengthy debates we've had based on pseudoscience, you know, from that show that now us, we have now decided we are also scientists and have, you know, made conclusions about the universe. But I cherish that time and I cherish those moments because I think uh, 
I, as much as I love my time with my own brain, I'm tired of my own brain. I want other people's brains. I want to dive into other people's brains. I'm interested. I think I've always been interested in other people. It's one of the reasons I enjoy teaching. It's because I'm interested in other people's brains and how they work. And I think when you teach the shock that you get every single time is that no matter how carefully you've thought out how to teach this to somebody, how to break it down, there's somebody who either says, I've got a better way, and you go, oh my God, that is a better way, because their brain works differently than yours, or they say, I don't get it, and you think, I don't know how else to explain it though, and you have to find a way to make it work for their brain, and that to me is interesting and exciting. You know, uh, I think I told you this. I listened to this neurologist give a speech in which he said that children up to the age of six, you can cut out half their brain and they still end up being normal human beings. And he was talking in the context of the idea that like we are born without our brains fully formed and they grow and develop over time as opposed to other some animals like a zebra and stuff that they basically are born with their brain fully formed, which is why they can walk like 20 minutes after they're born, right? Because it's like in their brain already how to do it. And that one of the incredible powers of us as a species is the fact that our brain isn't fully formed, even though it would seem to be a negative, right? Because we're so helpless uh, at birth and all that kind of stuff. But it allows us to develop in all these drastic and interesting ways. But that in order for that development to happen, we have to have this outside stimulus. And he would say, or stimuli, anyway, regardless of the uh, uh, conjugation, what I was going to say is the point of that is that, you know, these kids who grow up uh, sometimes in orphanages or in extreme neglect situations where they don't get the stimulus that they need from a caretaker to make their brains grow and end up with these stunted brains for the rest of their lives. And so I hope that the baby won't have a stunted brain and that he's getting all he needs from us. But it does make me think like about that stimulus that you need to make your brain grow and that they've shown, for instance, that nuns who live in convents, many of them have dementia, but don't show the signs of it because they are so, their brains are so stimulated by having duties and a social life because they live with all these other people and all these other things that they, it's like they're, they are not their brains aren't allowed to sort of grow tired and fade away. And so even as your brain has dementia or is fading away, if you keep feeding it stimulus, it will keep functioning for you, which is magical, isn't it? So thinking about all that and thinking about the brain and thinking about the stimulus that we need, you know, I feel like I have, uh, you know, I, I'm seeking seeking new stimulus, suddenly seeking Susan, I am suddenly seeking stimulus. I'm looking for those little brain tickling things that are going to keep my brain growing and not, not atrophied. There it is. Uh, now I'm a neuroscientist. <laughs> you know, I think like, I think that there is something about making art is about bringing out what is inside your brain, right? It's being like, this This is, if you could get inside my head, this is what it's like. That's what I think it is when you make art, right? And so if there's nothing going on inside your brain, then that's probably some really boring art. Or it's at least you're having a lot of trouble making something. I do feel that uh, the loss of 
also going to museums, but even seeing public art or seeing how people dress or how a particular restaurant plates its food or, you know, some musician on the corner or just there's this and there's a spontaneity of absorbing all these stimuli and they're layered upon each other. I think that's a loss. And I, I do agree that uh, when you hit these stale times, there needs to be a way to walk away from it. And unfortunately, in the quarantine, it's been less so. Speaking of mm-hmm. public art, you want to talk very briefly about yard art? I do. And then I want to talk about some action items. Um, so yard art is this thing that my town is doing where what they did is they put out a call and they just said, listen, anybody in town who wants to put up a piece of yard art, that's anything in your yard, you know, on your porch that is viewable by the public, you know, let us know. We'll put you on an interactive map. We'll put a sign in your lawn that says that you're part of this, And you can do that. And so the response in town was actually so massive that they had to uh, reorder signs because more people participated than they expected. And so all over town, there are these red signs that say yard art. And you can see that, you know, I've seen things hanging from porches with giant, like, plate-sized googly eyes. There are, uh, there's a woman who made giant paper cranes and hung them from a tree in her house. There's a person near me who put a huge banner of a mermaid down the side of their house. There are people who have um, put up colorful political signs as their art installation. There are, um, a couple um, businesses in town that don't have a yard have done window displays with the yard art. But again, it's the idea that there is this uh, change of scenery that you can see as you walk around town. Uh, we, ha- I happen to have an ancient elm tree in front of the house. It's, uh, my house was built in 1890, and this elm tree is about, I think, like 30 or 40 years younger. They think it was planted in 80, 1850. Um, so it, and it is giant. And by giant, I mean, I painted a mural that was almost 19 feet long and it wraps around the base of the tree once. So it's a big tree. Um, and the thing that I think has been so interesting besides the fact that of course the mural is gorgeous and I have noticed many people stopping to look is that it brings attention to the tree. It was always a big tree, but how often do you really look at trees? But the number of people who have been like, whoa, that's a big tree. And it reminded me a little bit of, there was an exhibit called The Gates by Christo in Central Park many years ago in which he put these orange, I believe they were technically like saffron, you know, cover fabric covered gates throughout Central Park. And everybody was like, how is this art? But the point was that it brought people out to Central Park in February And it changed the way that you saw the paths in the park, right? And that sometimes seeing something old with new eyes is, in fact, you know, art. It's it's being able to, I think, being able to see something anew. That is like seeing with artists' eyes. And so... I have to tell you this. It framed the vistas of the park in a different way. The way that an architectural folly in a garden can change the way you see the garden. 
it really, I thought, I also was kind of skeptical. And when we went, I thought it was magical. Yeah. And, you know, I think that I am so I'm so also charmed by the fact of the number of people, this is related, I promise, who've put out little libraries on their yards. I noticed in walking with the baby this morning that on a little circuit that we take, there are like five little libraries that you can go. And it does make you see those people's lawns and houses in a different way. Not because I think they meant the little library to be art, But because it's those little libraries, if you're not aware, these are like little lending libraries where people usually put in books and magazines and you can take them for free and you can leave books and magazines there. And it's like a way of, you know, exchanging books. Um, And but what it does, obviously, is that's an invitation. It's an invitation to step onto my lawn. It's an invitation to look at my house. It's an invitation to see what people in my neighborhood are reading or interested in. You know, I can tell you there's a very active little uh, library near me in which uh, somebody has a subscription to The New Yorker and just keeps putting the magazines in there, but they go, which means somebody else is enjoying, you know, reading The New Yorker without having to pay for a subscription. And I think, you know... I have lots of those kind of magazines. Well, you need to put up a little lending library. I think they, but these are the things like now I know, I know a little bit more about who's in my neighborhood by the fact that I've noticed that those magazines come and go. You know, if they just came, it would be a different thing. So I, again, I think like any time there, there is this public art, it can change the way that you feel. So This actually does lead into some action items because mom and I have obviously done some complaining here about isolation, which I think we can all feel and all relate to. But the question is, what can you do about it? Because I'm a big believer in that you can do something about it. And while it's, it's not yet time for us to rip off our masks and go, you know, have a cuddle party with strangers, I think that there are things... Is it ever? (laughs) Well, I think... I think these are personal choices that we all can make. That's all I'm saying. Uh, But, you know, what are some action items that you can do if you feel like your inspiration is gone or that you feel very isolated or you feel like your brain is not being stimulated? You know, what are some things that you can do? And I think we've already hit on some of them, but I want to kind of grab them all now into one list. So obviously something we've... Yeah. Which is... All of this avoidance of other people and staying in your house and not going to anything where there's where it's crowded is driven by fear. And I yeah. don't like living my life driven by fear. It just it doesn't feel nice. It doesn't. But on the other hand, it's very difficult to tell people to stop being afraid of something. Exactly. So no, I, I understand it. I just said it doesn't feel nice. Yeah. I don't want to wake up every day and spend the day figuring out how to avoid some a terrible plague. Yeah, I think that it has made me... I think that I probably would have been a fearful parent. I think many first-time parents are fearful parents because you constantly think... I mean, like, honestly, when they let me go home with this baby, I was like, what? You're not thinking I'm going to kill this thing, you know, because I think it's a scary experience. But I think COVID has sort of upped the ante on it to make me feel like I must protect this child at all costs. From the very air. Yeah. From air, from other people, from dogs, from, you know, everything he touches, from like, you know what I mean? And it's, 
It's crazy. It's crazy making. Anyway, okay. So let's talk about some things you can do. So we have already discussed a little bit some of it. I mean, step number one is if you can go outside, go outside. Uh, and actually, I was going to, so my recommendation this week, I'm just going to say it, is a book called Outside Lies Magic by John Stilgo. And uh, for full disclosure, I haven't finished it. I'm only halfway through. But it's basically about gaining awareness of just like everyday life. Like one thing I learned very early on in the book is, did you know that if you look at the light that comes through the canopy of leaves, you know, and casts like little pinholes on the ground, you've seen that before, this little dappled sunlight, all of that light is in the same elliptical shape, no matter the size, but the shape is the same. I know. I had no idea. I was like, really? And that's all about how, you know, the light comes through. He devotes like pages to talking about how smoke looks depending on like the moisture level in the air and all these different things about observing and how much you can learn from a quiet moment of observing. And and the book actually brought me back to, I remember an exercise that I did many, many years ago when I spent a summer at Shakespeare and Company um, in their acting program. This is at least 15 years ago, if not longer, um, 20 years ago. Anyway, uh, they made us do this exercise where we had to sit somewhere for 20 minutes and observe. I thought I was going to die after three minutes of doing it. And then after five minutes, I kind of got into it. And then I completely lost track of time after that. And I can still remember what it sounded like when the wind came through these two large trees that I was sitting by. And I can still remember what they looked like and the colors and the feeling of sitting there in this dappled sunlight and the whole thing. And it was such a, I'm going to use the term sensual, not in a sexual nature, but in the sense of like sensual, like meaning like of feeling your body and being aware of your senses, you know, experience of actually being in the moment in that place, you know, and it's certainly something I, I, I wouldn't have done if I hadn't been forced to and haven't done since. Um, but, you know, I think that there is something really important about outside and understanding that there is magic in simple observation. I like that. Yeah. So that's sort of tip number one. Okay. I wonder if I sit for 20 minutes just because I, I have trouble meditating, mm. which I'm sure this is related to, although this is very much being aware. And I always thought of meditation as being tuned into yourself rather than the outside world. But I'd like to try this. I'll Maybe say I'll you have a great porch for it, actually, in nice weather, because it is like a covered porch and you have like lots of stuff to see, you know. Actually, I think having a baby has made me meditative in some ways because I try to be fully present with him, which means phone away. But a lot of times, like, he's tugging a box around, and I'm not sure that I'm actually mentally involved in him tugging a box around, right? So I'm, like, sort of half watching him and half in my thoughts, and I actually find myself sort of in a meditative state in those moments where I am you know, both present with him, but also sort of like in my brain, where in the past I would have been like impatient, looking for this, trying to find my phone, you know, etc. Okay, so tip number two, besides going outside, um, 
is obviously books because I just my recommendation was a book and I think books are very helpful. I know you love the newspaper, which does the same thing, which is a delivers some kind of stimulus from outside, some kind of thought. And I also am a great believer. May I just say, I give you permission right now. This is not school. You don't have to write a book report. You don't have to finish books. You don't have to finish magazines. Dip into it. Read 20 pages if you like it. Toss it if you don't like it. You know what I mean? Like you don't have to finish it. Just get a little something in your brain and keep moving. It's like nibbling at a buffet. Um, similar to books, I think, are all kinds of stimulus like podcasts, lectures, YouTube videos. There's tons of free, great stuff where smart people are talking a lot. Mom, do you have some favorite uh, go-to like podcast lecture sites, that kind of stuff? I do. Um, although now I'm revealing myself. <laughs> I listen to a lot of sports podcasts, um, particularly about the Patriots. That's just, this is my weakness. But I also just found out about one today called, I think it's Behind the Lines. I'll give you the reference. And it's a new podcast that's about uh, letters that people wrote during wartime, all kinds of different uh, wartime situations. And one of the ones that they featured that they're about to have their next podcast about is a woman started writing during the Vietnam War to soldiers in Vietnam. And she developed a relationship with one guy, not romantic. She was, she was married and had children and so on. Uh, but she had noticed that when they showed on the news mail call, the ones who did not get letters, the devastating look on their faces. So she ended up writing, I can't remember if it was 72 or 77 letters with this one guy, and they're going to have two actors reading the letters back and forth. Um, the article talked about how now she has dementia now, and the other, the soldier is also uh, fairly old. And what's happened is the daughters of those two people are, were helping in a project to put together a book about the letters. And so now they have a relationship. So this podcast is coming up. And I like the idea of... It's a completely out of my knowledge base, and I'm going to learn something, and I'm going to meet a couple of new people, and it just, that's appealing to me. I will also say that I think, you know how you said you listen to a lot of sports casts, sports podcasts, and you said it sort of apologetically, and I think that, I don't think that that is an apologetic thing, because I think again, the things that make us us are the interesting quirks. You know, nobody I think who uh, who knows you doesn't know you are a die-hard Patriots fan, and you will you will just you know ruin everybody else with your knowledge of statistics and players' backstories and whatever else. But I think that a stranger on the street wouldn't know it about you, and I think that. You know, I remember this kid I went to college with who wanted to be a doctor, but his he was majoring in college in Egyptology. 
And I always thought that that was so interesting. And he was a more well-rounded person for not majoring in biology. You know, that we are people who have interests and that those outside interests, while they may not seem directly to affect, you know, what we're doing, I think make us who we are and make us more interesting. There is study after study that shows that most CEOs of Fortune 500 companies consume books like potato chips and not just books about business, but just books, knowledge that knowing something about a you know, a story about a girl who grew up in Tibet and how she became, you know, whatever she became ends up influencing the way you think about something down the line and you don't know it. That if you only seek knowledge for purpose, you're missing out on a lot of other stuff, you know? So I think that's great. I think there are there are, are a number of podcasts that you could listen to. Like there's a pop culture happy hour podcast that I love where people, again, just talk about things like, what's what's Beyonce's greatest performance and you know what's you know was this a good superhero movie or not a good superhero movie and and I enjoy it because I'm interested in that kind of stuff I have no intention of watching the four-hour Snyder cut of Justice League I listened however to two different podcasts that discussed it and so I feel like I'm part of the cultural zeitgeist without having to actually watch it you know, and in my mind, I'm thinking about the way that people talk about these things. And that actually stimulates something else in me. So I don't think things have to be a direct line. It's kind of like I remember doing art journal pages on YouTube and people saying like, well, why did you put the green layer on there if you were just going to cover it up? And the answer is because I didn't know I was going to cover up the green layer until I did, you know, and you don't you don't create art by knowing what the end product is going to be. And then it's just like, boom, but a doom, boom, boom. You know, it's a process in getting there. And sometimes there are things that get covered up in the end. And so I think, again, knowledge and stimulus coming in is the same way. You don't know that that trip to the mall is going to send you off on a six year, you know, painting series until you've made the trip to the mall and something gets you and you go, that's a technical term. Okay. That's, that's all, you know, authors often say that the characters told them what what they were going to do. Oh yeah. They I believe just, that. They wrote themselves. Yeah, yeah. I totally believe that. I think sometimes you know, when you are trying to control something too much, and I think this is something that motherhood is teaching me, then it goes completely the wrong way. <laughs> and if you let up a little bit, it seems to go a lot better. At least that's the way it goes with my son. So maybe that's a life lesson. Uh, anyway, tip number four, I think, about a way to sort of get out of your feeling stuck thing is take a class. And I'm going to tell you a story without naming any names. I signed up for a class recently and I hated the class. I complained about it every day after I watched the lesson. I complained about it every day after I did the lesson. I listed all the things I did not like about it. And you know what? I have been deeply inspired ever since. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think that sometimes that's the way it goes. You don't have to like something 
You don't even, I also, the entire time, most of what I complained about is I felt this person was a terrible teacher and instructor and didn't do any of the things that I wanted her to do as a teacher or answer any of the questions that I wanted her to answer as a teacher. And I felt very frustrated that I had paid this money for this class when I could have just looked at her work to figure out everything that she was not telling me because basically the class was her doing the things that she does on Instagram anyway. So anyway, regardless of that, apparently I did learn something. I did feel inspired. It did force me to do something. And so I was reminded once again that like you don't have to be in love with every moment of some kind of stimulus for it to actually be wonderful fodder for your brain. And sometimes hatred is a wonderful spur to kick your butt and your brain you know into motion because when I was filled with all this like I don't like this I had to actually think about how to put into words what it is I didn't like which then made me think about why I didn't like it which then made me teach myself which then made me learn so many things so it was a great experience all around really glad I signed up for that class totally worth the money so all those nights when I was (laughs) criticizing your work in high school or whatever. See, you were totally worth the money, Mom. I didn't know about it at 2 in the morning. It's true. Just so you know, my mother is a very good criticizer, and I am very good at taking criticism as a result. Uh, Actually, that's not true. I'm terrible at taking it, even though I've had so much practice. It's totally bizarre. Okay. Anyway, we should probably wrap up today. I don't know if you have any last thoughts on our whole sort of conversation about getting COVID, sort of COVID shutting down your creativity and your sense of self and how you can kind of bust out of that. No, I think these are all good ideas. I I also think that um, I have to think about getting past my... Going back to the fear thing, because I have friends who, like me, are now fully vaccinated, and yet I still persist in not seeing them face-to-face on their porches or in their yards. It's because, you know, with a mask, I just, maybe it's because you're not vaccinated and Mm -hmm. Steve is not vaccinated, but I just feel... I am so cautious. It's really hard after a year. Yeah. I I need to push myself a little bit to do it, even though it makes me nervous, because then I will feel more like life. There's life out there. You know how people say that if you do a habit for like 30 days or you do an action for 30 days, it becomes a habit? Yeah, so my habit is now sitting in my hidey hole. Yeah, but that's real. Like, I mean, it's a joke, but it's also real. I mean, we've spent a year, all of us, doing this behavior stringently, carefully, like, and absolutely. I I think I would, I feel weird now if I don't have a mask on in public instead of it being the other way. I feel, you know, I, I'm very, like, every second I know where my hand sanitizer is. I know, you know, which masks are in the laundry and which are out. I know, you know, like we wash our hands without thinking about it. The baby even has stopped crying so much when his hands get washed. Like it just, 
I, I avoid people. I don't even think about it now when I just say no to things. I, I never washed my groceries. <laughs> Sprayed them with hand sanitizer. Okay. Uh, well, so wrapping up here, you, it's just time for us to say, Mom, you haven't done your recommendation, I just realized. Right. Now, when you were talking about outside interests, mm. that person who's going to medical school, but he's interested in he's majoring in paleontology. Egyptology. I actually have a link to the first, it's the Harvard University staff art show. The art is of very high quality and people who in their daily lives do not do art. And they were feeling that during COVID and this whole, the, excuse me for one moment while I turn this off, during the whole pandemic and everything that they weren't getting to see each other and they weren't getting to know each other as human beings uh, the way you do when you work with people normally. So I uh, went to this link, which is the virtual gallery, and I really liked it. So there's an article about it with some of the people talking about their art, and then there's another link to the virtual gallery. I really enjoyed it, and I hope you will too. Cool. Sounds awesome. But but it is also, says to me, you can't tell how talented people are, how interesting people are, how creative people are from their jobs. Yeah. You can't tell. I mean, this is, again, like uh, the old assumptions makes an ass out of you and me. Like, there are so many things that we assume about other people when we look at them. We tell stories to ourselves about who they must be based on, you know, what just a single glance and you never know what somebody's really like, which is why it's always good to strike up a conversation with a stranger with a mask six feet away, you know, <laughs> outside. But yeah, but I mean, that's another thing I miss, right? Just randomly talking to somebody and finding out something new about them. Okay, enough missing things. I miss you. Talk to me. You can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. If you'd like to take a class with me or sign up for private coaching, I'd love to hear from you. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review, mention us on social media, or tell a friend because all of those things help other people find the show. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. We'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. (laughs) 